We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Trust you had a good week. It's always a good week if you make it to the next Sunday. Regardless of what happened. Yeah, if you made it to the next Sunday, it's a good week. You're here. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 2. I'm going to read a very familiar story. We're going to talk about some exceptional wine. Well, I got smiles out of a lot of people. <laughs> I'm not sure how to. <laughs> Rather than read through the story, it's, it's verses 1 through 11. We'll kind of go through the story in the verses and, and look at some things. Um, this is actually the first recorded miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. Kind of reminds me of the story that there was a guy that he stayed drunk all the time. Day in and day out, night in and night out. His family would go without the basic necessities to get by most of the time. But then God came into his life. He was born again, and his whole life changed. But one of his so-called drinking buddies that he used to drink with quite a bit that was still drinking tried to make fun of him by asking, well, do you really believe that Jesus turned water into wine? And the guy replied with great enthusiasm, oh, yes. He said, as a matter of fact, in my home, he's turned, water, he's turned wine into groceries. He's turned wine into clothes. He's turned wine into furniture. So he went from water to wine to... He believed that Jesus could do anything. The wine that Jesus created looked and smelled and tasted exceptionally good in that day. It had a stronger body and a better flavor than ordinary wine. I was looking at some different historical uh, sites about wine in that day. And the, the consensus is that the wine in Jesus' day didn't have near the alcohol content that we have today. We've, we've actually manufactured it better and, and, and made it to where there's a more of an alcohol content today than there was in Jesus' day. Yet there was still an alcohol content in the day of Jesus. Make no mistake, a lot of people say that when he turned the water into wine, it had no alcohol content to it, that it was basically grape juice. Uh, But understand something. It, it was, they were able to get drunk in that day because the Bible talks about drunkards. So no matter what the content was, and that, you know, that's something I think people miss. You know, the Scripture doesn't really say that it's wrong to drink wine, does it? It's not about the wine that you're drinking. It's about the volume you intake. The volume you intake. Because at some point, you can intake enough volume of it 
that you're not in your senses. I looked up, and I think I've said this before, I looked up where it says that a drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of, of God. So I looked up the word drunkard, and the word drunkard in the Greek means tipsy. So what do we mean by tipsy? It doesn't mean you can't get up from the bar, can't get off the floor, can't open the door drunk. That's not what tipsy is. There are people, I've, I've been in places where there, there were people like that. They had to be escorted out because they couldn't walk out. They were so inebriated. But the word tipsy, what do you think the word tipsy means? Let's ask that question before I go any further. Some of you are looking at me and smiling like, right, it's right before you get drunk? When you can't walk straight? Tipsy. When a person that doesn't normally laugh very much laughs a lot? Yeah, when, when inhibitions seem to uh, kind of filter out of your life, tipsy, tipsy. So we think of tipsy as uh, right at the edge of, but not quite there, right? But the Scripture says tipsy is a drunkard. That's not for me. That's just, just, I'm not warning you about anything. I'm not telling you anything. I'm just telling you. The Scripture says that being tipsy is being a drunkard. And so we, you know, <clears throat> we've marginalized some things in our lives to justify our actions, haven't we? we we've done that. That's, let's just be honest. So, you know, let's understand something here. Uh, you know, I don't think it was, it was the intent of Jesus to get these people drunk. When he made this wine and this wine, and we'll know by reading the Scripture that this wine was the best wine. But I don't think it was his intention. Jesus came to save drunks, not make drunks. He came to save us, not make us. I made myself a drunk, and he came and, you know, matter of fact, the Bible says, to, you know, don't drink wine in excess. Excess is what? Tipsy. Be full of the Spirit. <clears throat> so the same effect you could get from being drunk on wine, you can get in the Spirit. The same, this one's better than the other. Think about that a second. There's, there's arenas and areas in the spirit you can go that you're going to, you know, the reason people get tipsy, this is not my lesson, but the reason people get tipsy is to feel a certain way. Number one, inhibitions go away. Number two, problems go away. If you've ever been tipsy, you realize, hey, you know, I had a bad day today. <laughs> that wasn't so bad, was it? We're all laughing and carrying on about it. How, you know, you, know, you can be that way in the spirit and not have to worry about the. <laughs> okay, am I done with that? <laughs> There was a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. This was good stuff. Yeah. Okay. And I'm just saying, I'm just telling you, I'm repeating what the Scripture says about what a drunkard is. I, <laughs> Right. Understand this. Your, your content intake to get you tipsy is different than mine. So this is all about principle. 
purpose and reasoning. You know, it's not the intent of God to give us anything that takes us out of our normal rationale, rationale to be able to think. So that's, you know, I'm not trying to give you a lesson of, you know, if, if you get drunk or you want to get drunk, that's between you and God. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to repeat what the Scripture says and you, you go from there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll kind of talk about this, about that in this, uh, what that water was to begin with. So, again, I don't, <laughs> I just know Jesus came to save drunks, not to make drunks. So, well, y'all let me leave it at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Proverbs 23 and 30 and 32 says this, They that tarry at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. So giving you a clue about when and to and not drink wine. When it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself all right. At the last bit, biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. So <laughs> understand something. There's, there's a, you can look at a wine and you can determine the context and the content by the color and how the wine moves. Uh. So here's, let me just give you a little bit of advice. If you're not sure, don't do it. That's good advice. My dad gave it to me. If you're not sure about it, son, just don't do it. So, so let's read verse 1. I, I, I spent a lot of time on <laughs> And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Cana was about eight miles from Nazareth, and the disciple Nathaniel was from Cana. Uh, so most likely, Nathaniel knew the couple being married. You'll find, especially in those days in, in the culture, kind of like if you've ever been out to the country, everybody knows your business. I lived in the country all my life, and when you live in a country town, everybody knows your business. There's always that person. We have one that's in a little store where I live, and she knows everybody's business. She can tell you anything about anybody you want to know. And so Nathaniel most likely knew this couple that's being married. Nathaniel and Bartholomew are thought to be the same person in Scripture, by the way. In John's Gospel, Bartholomew is never mentioned. But in the other three Gospels, Bartholomew is mentioned, but never Nathaniel. So it's probable that these are the same person. So as well in the entire Bible, Cana is only mentioned in the Gospel of John. It's only mentioned in the Gospel of John. Cana was a town that was... Uh, in an allotted territory of the tribe of Asher. It was located near the city uh, of Sidon, of which Jacob, on his deathbed in Genesis 49 and 20, prophesied that Asher should yield royal dainties. The Hebrew word dainties meaning delicacies or pleasures. And so this city, Cana, was a city that was going to yield royal dainties, a royal pleasure, and it translates into royal wine. Now, Cana wasn't known for its winemaking, but at some point in time, we find out that some royal wine does show up in that city, even though it was prophesied or spoken of by Jacob way back years before. So Jesus began to work miracles in an obscure... When he, his first miracle is this obscure town in the middle of nowhere because he didn't seek to honor 
be honored by men, but, but of God. The, and so we read here that the, the mother of Jesus and Mary was already there. She, she wasn't called to the wedding as Jesus and his disciples were in verse 2. Let's read it again. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So it's apparent that Mary was called, or, or not called, but brought to the, uh, to the wedding first. So it appears that she's in this helping stage of preparing for this wedding. The reason she's there is to help in preparation for this wedding, most likely because she was related to the couple. That was a common custom that the, the, the relatives did all the preparation for the upcoming marriage. Jesus was not yet well known. He, Jesus wasn't invited to this marriage because he was a miracle worker, because he was a savior, because he had opened blind eyes. He hadn't done any of this. He wasn't well known at all. So apparently Jesus came because his mother was there. He was invited because his mother was there. And since his mother most likely was kin to these people that were getting married in the flesh, so was Jesus. So... His presence also shows us the approval that Jesus had of, of the marriage ceremony. It's a man and a woman, marriage ceremony, a man and a woman, one man, one woman, not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman, or not a man with 12 wives, or not a woman with 10 husbands. It was a man and a woman. Jesus approved of that. You know, it goes all the way back to Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. They become one flesh. Verse 3 says that when they wanted wine, Mary said, well, there is no wine. So the question being there is that this, did the wine guy not show up? Or had they drunk, drank so much wine <laughs> that they had drank it all? <laughs> That's the question that bears. So she informs Jesus with hopes that something might be done to save this marrying couple from an embarrassment because to not have wine, the, the master or the ruler of, of this ceremony would be very upset. To not have wine would have been an embarrassment to the family. Jesus hasn't performed any miracles yet, but she knows who Jesus is. She knows that her conception was a miracle. She knows that his birth was a miracle. So she knows that her son could do something exceptional. So we're not really sure by Scripture what she was expecting, even if she was expecting him to do a miracle. She just knew that her son Jesus was the one to go to. And so that's what she did. Psalm 50 and 15 says this, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And that's the Lord speaking. Listen, we, we think of that in a time of, man, I, you know, I got a lot of trouble. I can't pay my bills, and I can't, you know, I'm about to be thrown out of my house and all this stuff, so I need to call on Jesus. This is talking about anything in your life. If you've got a trouble in your life, he's going to deliver you out of the trouble. Call on him. Then Jesus says to her in verse 4, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Woman, what am I, what have I, what, woman, wait a minute, wasn't this his mother? I never once in my life <laughs> called my mother woman. <laughs> yeah, my, as a matter of fact, my dad never, I never heard, he may have, I never heard him too. But there, there's a reason that, that that's there. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, Mary doesn't tell Jesus what to do. You notice, he doesn't tell her, he, even though she's his mother. Now, in a common situation, would not you as a mother 
tell your son what to do. Yeah, if that's not, your son's not Jesus. Yeah, I'm just talking about you now because a lot of people are like, y'all froze on me. I wouldn't tell Jesus what to do. Would you as a mother, wouldn't you tell your son what to do? It's common, natural. But he doesn't call her. He calls her woman. You know, it's the same word Jesus uses in John 19 and 26. When, when he's hanging on the cross, he says, woman, behold. He uses the same word. That word is gune. The word woman is gune. And it means wife. It means wife. Now, we know Mary was not Jesus' wife. So we understand that when he used that term, he's using that term under a different relationship now. He's using it under a different relationship. Now, he knows that she was married to Joseph, so she was Joseph's wife. But she, under the custom of the Jews, he also understands that she has a position in that marriage. And so... He uses a different word at this point because he's changing relationship with his mother at this time. It's here at this wedding that this new relationship begins between Jesus and his mother. What have I to do with thee? She is reminded that she is a woman. Number one, she's reminded she is a woman like all other women and that he, as God in the flesh, cannot comply with her wishes if it's not his time. Let me say that again. He's reminding her she's a woman and that he as God in the flesh can't simply comply with her wishes when it's not his time because Jesus lived on a heavenly timetable. Jesus lived on a heavenly timetable. God has this prophetic calendar and everything is done because God allows it. You go all the way back to the prophets, and you go all the way back. But God has this calendar, if you will, not a you know not a like we see. God knows the exact hour, day, week, month, and year when He's going to return. There's a time appointed God has, and God knows the exact moment. Because it's his heavenly calendar, his timetable. So Jesus, when he said, it's not my time, his reference is, I, I live on a different timetable and a time calendar than you, woman. John 7 and 30 says, they, Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. The reason they didn't lay hands on him he was on a heavenly timetable. It wasn't time for them to lay hands on him, to take him to be crucified. John 8 and 20. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Jesus was on a heavenly calendar. They weren't going to lay hands on him and do anything to him because he was, it was not his time. John 12 and 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus is on a heavenly calendar. Now the hour is here. The time is here where He can be glorified. John 13 and 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come and that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. He knew His hour 
was come. He knew that his heavenly calendar, it was his time. Before then, no one was going to put him in this place or position. John 17 and 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may glorify thee. Jesus just lived on a heavenly calendar. And so what Mary did was that she, she just approached the one that lived on a heavenly calendar. But she made no reference to what, as his mother, he ought to do. Let me say that, well, this can be touchy, but I guess it can. There are those that glorify and magnify the mother of Jesus. Now, I'm going to let that set in for a little bit, and I'm going to come back to that. There are those that glorify and magnify the mother of Jesus. In verse 5, his mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he says, you do it. So she comes to Jesus, but then realizing what he has just said, he then leaves the conversation with Jesus and goes to the servants and says, Whatever he says, you do it. So if Jesus said nothing, they did nothing. If Jesus said, y'all take a few laps around the house till I figure out what I'm going to do, they would have taken a few laps around the house till he figured out what he's going to do. Whatever he says to do, you do it. Her understanding was that it would be him that would be glorified in this situation, not her. He would be glorified. If something happened on this occasion, he would be the one exalted. If something were to happen, it wouldn't go through Mary. It would go through Jesus. She didn't say, all right, everybody line up. I'm going to tell you what to do, and then Jesus is going to do something for us. He didn't say, okay, everybody, whatever I tell you to do, he's going to repeat. She simply said, servants, whatever he says, do it. To go through Mary to get to Jesus would imply that she knew more or would do more than him. Understand what's going on here. This, and here's the thing. There, there's a reason this is here. This mother and son thing that you see is in Scripture. It goes all the way back to Nimrod. All the way back to Nimrod and his kingdom called Babel in Genesis 10. And it was a custom, a pagan custom, for the mother to take charge over the son. It was a pagan custom. It wasn't a Jewish custom. Listen, as a man, Jesus was David's son, King David. He's the lineage of David and was Mary's son as a man. But as God, Jesus was David's Lord as well as Mary's Lord. Many at the wedding were related to Mary and to Jesus as far as the flesh was concerned. In Scripture, you see two phrases, the Son of God and the Son of Man. The Son of God refers to the Spirit. The Son of Man refers to the flesh. When you're reading it and studying it, look at it. When it's, and Jesus often uses that term. As a matter of fact, you won't find Jesus himself using the term Son of God. But he will use the term Son of Man because it's God relating to flesh and flesh. Does that make sense? God's relating to flesh and flesh. God came in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So when you see that, the, the phrase, Son of Man, it's the flesh that God came in relating to the flesh that we are. 
Understand that Jesus in flesh was related to probably a lot of people there. But he's going to be the Lord of all of them. He's going to be the Lord of all of them. So let me get back to there, there. There are those that call Mary the queen of heaven. I'm not calling names. They call her the queen of heaven. They call her the salvation of the world because she delivered Jesus, that she was the one that delivered salvation into the world. There are those that say that Mary is the life and hope of the world. Depending on her intercession, beseeching her to command her son to do them good. There are some that say that Mary sits along. Now, this is not my. I'm just going to give you a repeat of what these are saying. So you don't, I don't believe this, but let me repeat what they say. That sitting along with the Trinity, the triune of God, is Mary, who when Jesus gets upset, the saints appeal to Mary to get Jesus unupset before he causes havoc in, in our lives. Now, that, we don't believe that. But there are those who, their credence to Mary is above their credence to Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, for there is one God. Let's, let's settle some things here. There's not three. There's one. There's one God. One God manifest. And understand, God was manifest in more than the Jesus and the Holy. God, he was a burning bush. He was manifest as a burning bush in the Old Testament. Just to understand, there, there are those that have taken and tried to make this a triune of gods when the Bible says there's only one God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ran ransom uh, to be testified. That word testified means something evidential or evidence in due time. So, yes, Mary was a blessed woman. The Scripture does say that. She was blessed not above all women, but among all women. Mary was blessed among all women, not above them. So I'm only saying this for a reason. We, we have to understand that when you're going through and studying the Scripture, there's things you have to make, have realization and understand that she, like all men and women from the fall of Adam, needed a Savior and needed a Redeemer, that Jesus was to be magnified and glorified in all that He did. Anybody that's magnified and glorified over Jesus in anything then takes his place. If you, take, if you take the glorification from God and put it upon yourself, then you make yourself your own God. So the Scripture actually says she was blessed among women, not above them. So we love her and respect her, but she's, Jesus always has preeminence, not, not Mary. So I know I'm talking, preaching to the choir, but listen, yeah, there, there, there are many, many, many people who believe the very thing that I just spoke. And so understanding the reference of how to explain to them what Scripture says. Verse 6, let's read verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. So water was kept in stone pots to keep them uh, free from impurities because this water was used in ritual cleansing, ritual washing of hands and other vessels. The pots were connected to the law. And so these pots that were here were the purification pots that were used for purification processes, part of the ceremonial purification. As well, two or three firkins, a, a firkin, two or three firkins is 20 to 30 gallons. 20 to 30 gallons. So let's just say it's three firkins. So there's six pots, 
30 gallons per pot, that's 180 gallons. That's a lot of water. And that's sure enough, a lot of wine. Back in my day, if we got a hold of 180 gallons of wine, that lasted us for about a week. But it was a lot. You're talking about... So Jesus began his miracle by using what was at hand. He could have, Jesus could have done a number of things here, couldn't he? He could have taken, if they already had wine vessels there, just refilled them by his will. He could have done a number of things, but what did he do? He took the purification vessels because they meant something to the Jews. They understood what this was about. You, you notice in the Old Testament how that Moses performed a water miracle. Moses performed a water miracle by turning the water into blood, a, a sign of death. <clears throat> Jesus takes water and turns it into wine. Wine is a typification in the Scripture of the Holy Ghost, life. The Holy Ghost is the pneuma. When, when God breathed into Adam, <sighs> The breath, and he became a living soul. That that was breath. That's pneuma. That's that's life. That's that's how we live. And so he took the things that were for purification, and I guess he purified them a little better than what they were, by what the scripture says. So he he could have filled the you know Jesus could have willed the pots to be filled, and they would have just been filled. Jesus could have just in his mind said pots be full. And they would have been filled. He had, he had authority. All authority was given him in heaven and earth. He had authority. I mean, he stopped winds. He stopped storms. He, he took away diseases. He, did all, he, had, he had authority to those, those vessels. What did he do? He said, fill them up to the brim. To the, get them on, you know, let's get rim high. Let's get it to where it's almost ready to come out. Fill them up. And they obeyed him without question, filling them to the brim. Keep in mind, Jesus hadn't done a single miracle yet. He hadn't healed a single person yet. He wasn't well known yet. He wasn't broadcast all over for his great and mighty acts. And yet, when he said, fill them up, they filled them up. They obeyed without question. What if we approach Jesus Christ that way today? If Jesus just said it, we did it. Because most of us would say, okay, Jesus, now, you sure you want us to take it to the brim? Because after all, when it gets to the brim, if somebody hits it, it's going to spill out. Jesus, you know how heavy that's going to be? Do you know how much water that's going to be? There would be all the litany of what ifs and buts and all those things that we would. What if we just said, okay, Jesus, when Jesus said for us to do something today, what if we just said, what if he told you to fill your pot to the brim? And you said, just said, okay. What would happen? What would happen? An exceptional wine would happen. An exceptional wine would happen. Read verse 8 here. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. So the servants, the, Jesus didn't say hocus pocus, holy moly, and turn into wine. He didn't say, okay, pots, water. Now your wine vessels. He didn't do anything. He told them to fill it. And when they filled it, he said, okay, now go draw out of it. Often we're looking for God to do something that God's looking for us to do something. 
That's, can you imagine the faith? Because let's talk about this just a little bit. The faith these servants had that when Jesus said, draw out, Jesus didn't say, draw out now and take a taste. Let's make sure before we send this to the master of the ceremonies that it's good. Jesus didn't say, give me a cup. I'm going to check it out. He didn't say, taste and see. He didn't say any of those things. He said, draw it out and take it straight to the man. This guy is the guy that's the boss over everybody. He's the one you want to please here. So let's read verses 9 and 10. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. He didn't call Jesus. He called the bridegroom. And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which are, is worse. Y'all get the picture? <laughs> you get them to where they don't care. Just drink it. And so they came to a point. Now, here's where people say, see, he intended them for, to get drunk. That, that's where I've had the <laughs> different discussions with people. But understand, they're well drunk. Then that It didn't say that they were well drunk, but they had well drunk the, water, the wine. You see what? It didn't say they were, they were very drunk. It's not what it's saying here, that they had drunk the wine that was there. But thou hast kept the good wine unto now. You, you've, listen, I don't know what you're doing here, bridegroom, but you gave us the, the sorry wine first, and we drank all that. Now you're showing up with the good wine. What, what's going on here? Jesus never said a word. He just performed a miracle. And oftentimes, we have this question and that question rather than just receiving the miracle. Verse 11, the beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. The interesting thing is, this is where Jesus' miracles began, and they have yet to cease. This is where the working of miracles in the lives of human beings by Jesus Christ began, and they have yet to cease. He's still working miracles. He's still doing things. Can you imagine the faith that arose in the hearts of Mary and disciples at the wedding feast when they saw this go down? What that did in there? It was the beginning of many, many miracles that Jesus would perform. It was, it was the start of something. It was the beginning of a life changing this itself was a life-changing event it was an exceptional wine it was a better wine than the wine that was provided you can imagine if let's just the amount of gallons that jesus produced jesus is always going to produce enough jesus is always going to produce more than needed and jesus is always going to provide the best and that's what he did with these firkins, with these six pots. He provided more than they needed. He provided the best they needed. He provided enough. He always provides the best. And so when we, when we look at the wedding feast, there's, there's, a, there's a litany of things you can talk about in this wedding feast. There are different types and shadows. even And understand, the Scripture says that, that the Old Testament is, is a the Scripture are types and shadows of things to come in spirit. It's, they're physical events that we now see in the church in spirit. 
And where people will get confused is they look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because we place them in the New Testament. People consider Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the New Testament. But understand something. The New Testament hadn't begun yet. The New Testament began after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and ascended. Then this New Testament began. No sins could be washed away, wiped away, cleaned up. Then Jesus was living in the Old Testament, if you will. The, work, the life of Jesus, Jesus was in the Old Testament, if you will. The acts were in the Old Testament, if you will. It only became a New Testament when he gave himself a ransom for us. So when we look at the life of Jesus, understand that there are even types and shadows and things in the life of Jesus that he wants to perform in the church. And when you look at this, uh, <clears throat> Jesus describes his church as the, nobody's talking today, so, but it starts with the B, ends with the E, bride. He describes himself as the groom. The Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. There are all kinds of typifications that go back to what we've just read here in Scripture to understand that there's many things in this story that Jesus wants to present to us. But the, the, the main factor is to understand that Jesus is the miracle worker. He is the miracle giver. He always supplies more. He always supplies the best. And He always meets the need. And he did so without saying a word. Oftentimes we wait on God to tell us something. We wait on God to give us a direction. When all we've got to do, there was a need. The need was made known. And when it was made known, then what happened? Once it's made known, then Jesus says, Okay, guys, it's your turn. Fill the pots. Dip out of the pots. Take it to the governor. Part of our life of faith has to be that we understand that Jesus wants us to be a part. Why do you think he had those servants fill the pots instead of just by his will doing it? He wanted them to be a part of the miracle. Man, do they have a story to tell? Huh? When the servants' union met and they were talking about the wages being increased, they had a bigger story. Hey, guys, listen, we want our wages increased, but listen, you're not going to believe what happened down in Cana. You know, we're going to tell you the story, but you're going to think we're lying. But I'm telling you, it's the truth. We were there. We saw it. That's why God wants you to be involved in miracles. He wants you to be involved in miracles. Many times we pray, and we pray God perform a miracle. We ask God to send down a miracle. We ask God to send down healing. He's not going to send down any more miracles, healings. He's not going to be re-crucified. None of that's going to happen. He has given us everything in the Holy Ghost, that exceptional wine. He's given us everything in the Holy Ghost that we possibly need, want even more. We just have an earnest of the inheritance, but he's given us everything we possibly need. All we got to do is fill the pot. All we got to do is fill the pot. Then we can dish it out. It doesn't matter who it is. can be the governor of the feast. We can dish it out because it's the right stuff. Anybody have any?
thoughts, doubts, fears, unbeliefs. Everybody wants to go out and get drunk. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, last time I was one minute early, this time I'm five minutes. I'm getting better. Let's take a little time before worship. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.